0: Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. I'm going to ask you to remain seated this morning because it's going to be a lengthy uh, scripture reading and I would rather you um, be seated and be focused on the text and standing and wondering when this guy is going to stop reading uh, so i am reading this morning from luke chapter 1 we're going to read parts of luke chapter 1 and luke chapter 2 not the entire chapter but we'll read parts of of both uh, chapters so i'm reading this morning from luke chapter 1 verse 26. of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then reading in Luke chapter 2, In those days And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. What a story. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this story and this reality that you so love the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I thank you, Lord, that Christ was sent into this world 2,000 years ago. And what a difference that has made for all of us In spite of our imperfections, in spite of all of our failings, you still love us and you are still for us on the basis of what Jesus does for us. And we thank you for that this morning. And all praise to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. No other event in the history of our world... Has impacted our world like the birth of Jesus Christ. No other person who has ever lived has impacted our world like Jesus Christ. There is a long list of men and women who throughout history changed the world for better or for worse. All the people that you learned about in history class, all the people that you read about, men, Women, great, infamous, evil. Lots of people have left their mark on the world. The way that we interact today and that the way that we use technology that's so different than people just 100 or 200 years ago, it's because men and women have advanced things in our world. It's not for Bill Gates. Now for any of these people, you could say, well, somebody else probably would have come along and come up with this. And they may have came, come up with something similar, but the specifics of the way the world looks, a lot of times were designed and influenced by one man or woman. We use computers the way that we do today because of men like Bill Gates. If you have an Apple product, you could, Thank Steve Jobs, who envisioned all of this, created this. We fly on planes because the Wright brothers were able to successfully fly the first time. Now granted, I admit, eventually someone else would have come up with a lot of these things, but it wasn't someone else, it was these particular men and women throughout history who have changed the world. But no one has changed the world like Jesus because no one has changed people's lives like Jesus. Steve Jobs did not change my life. I was living life just fine before I ever picked up an Apple product, and so was the rest of the world. People lived functionally just fine before there was an automobile. They survived, they, they thrived, they lived. I often look at and think about how some of the greatest literature in the world was produced before all of the technology that's in place. We really don't have authors today in any field, uh, fiction or theology that are producing works, even with all the technology, the word processors, the Bible study tools, all of this, no one is producing <clears throat> works like was produced up till 50, 60, 70 years ago and over the past several hundred years. So people, people have affected our lives. But Jesus changed our life. The person of Jesus Christ made us fundamentally different today than who we would be if Jesus was never born. He changed my life and He has changed your life because His Holy Spirit dwells within believers and His Holy Word dwells within us. So we read and we obey His Word and His Spirit and it transforms our lives. So we we read about this story this morning, and I'm going to point out some things that are going to seem to be really obvious. I'm going to say, yeah, I I know all this stuff, but I think it's good to to go back and remember these things because the way that the birth of Christ is portrayed, Hallmark cards, Christmas carols, it can become much like a movie. I think we we sometimes think Think of the birth of Christ in our head very differently than it probably really happened. The way that it really happened was that it was so normal that except for a few people who the angels came to and the Lord spoke to that knew something spectacular was happening, if you weren't one of those handful of people, the birth of Jesus was very ordinary. It didn't stand out in town. People didn't go around talking about God has come incarnate in flesh among us. Isn't this wonderful? That's not what happened. It happened on a real day. If we were to roll back history, to travel back in time, you could go back, travel about 7,000 miles as the crow flies, line to line from where we're sitting to to where Jesus was born. It would be about 7,000 miles. I say that because it was a a real day. It happened. He had one day, just like us, where he was born. And it was very ordinary. It's not a fantasy. It's not a movie. It's not a novel. He really did have a birthday. Paul said in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's who was born 2,000 years ago. The one who created all things, who has dominion and power and authority over all things, showed up incarnate in human flesh. Is there anything more helpless, more dependent on people than a newborn baby? Every baby every, ever born, every person ever born in the history of this world, including Jesus, could not have survived on their own. They are 100% dependent on somebody else just to live another day. It happened on a day. It was not an accidental day. It was a day that was planned in eternity by God that He would take on human flesh and dwell among His creation. It happened in a real place. It was in the city of David. The Bible is specific to tell us where this happened. It was a real place like Wiley or Dallas or Tampa or London. It was a real community of people that he was born in, a real place that we can still go and visit. For unto you is born this day in this city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The one thing that everyone needs, you, me, your neighbor, your co-workers, people a thousand years ago, people on the other side of the world, the one thing we all need is a Savior because we are all sinners. And God is justified and fair in allowing people to go to hell because people are sinners and the nature of sin is such that it is so offensive to God that it must be punished. God's holiness is offended by our sin and it must be punished. So God gives us a Savior. The Son of God and the Son of Man fused together in frail flesh 2,000 years ago. Who was this Jesus that was born? The first thing that we must establish, it is non-negotiable. There is no room for debate there is no room for discussion it is a requirement for a person that says i am an orthodox christian believer to believe that jesus is the yahweh of the old testament that is his identity there are people out there who deny this There is a man who I run across often in his literature and his work, uh, named Bart Ehrman, uh, who is, he's different in the sense uh, that he knows his Bible. I mean, he knows his Bible. I think, going off memory, I think that he was at one time in the faith, and that's why he knows his Bible so well. Uh, And he now has completely deconstructed his faith. And so, his whole thing, I think, in a nutshell, would be this is all a myth, that none of this is real. Uh, but Bart Ehrman argues hard from Scripture. So, he is a non believer, but he's arguing from Scripture that Jesus is not Yahweh. Um, I think the Scriptures are clear on that. I think that. A casual reading of the New Testament, if there is such a thing, leads us to the conclusion that Jesus is Yahweh. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews, they sent men to question John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing people. Now, it's likely that Jewish baptism was already in practice. We don't know that for sure. It's probably the Jews were already baptized. You go to the Old Testament, the Jews don't baptize people in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament, it's what we call Second Temple Judaism. The Jews, by 70 AD, are for sure baptizing people. So somewhere in here, when Jews make converts, they baptize people. Or actually, in Jewish baptism, the person actually baptizes themselves. They don't have somebody baptizing them. You actually baptize yourself as part of the the conversion. So John the Baptist comes along, and I say that because John the Baptist starts baptizing people in a river. uh, And the Jews wouldn't have any frame of reference for this if they weren't already baptizing people themselves. So they go to John and they said, Who do you think you are performing this ceremony? On what authority are you baptizing people? And in verse 23 in John, John the Baptist, who is related to Jesus, he's a cousin of some sort. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40 and he says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He is doing two things. Number one, he is identifying himself as the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah foretold. So Isaiah says, there's going to be somebody that comes. He's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. And John the Baptist says, I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. I'm the voice. That's a big claim. He's not claiming to be the suffering servant. He's not claiming to be the Messiah. But he is saying, Isaiah talked about a voice in the wilderness, and I'm that guy. Imagine being somebody who steps forward and says, you know the scriptures? that prophesied about this guy, yeah, I'm I'm the one that they prophesied about. That is a tremendous claim. Number two, John the Baptist is including, and this is what I want us to see, he is including Messiah Jesus in the identity of the one true God. This eternal word of God, he's including Christ this man Jesus, a cousin of his, and saying, I'm the one that Isaiah said was the voice in the wilderness, and oh, by the way, my cousin? We're including him in the identity of Yahweh. We're we're including him in the identity of the one true God in a way that does not violate Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Three, there are three foundational ideas within Judaism. Monotheism is the first one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's including Jesus within this identity. Now watch what the Apostle John is doing in John chapter 1. We've, when I preached through John, we talked about this. We saw that John, the Apostle John, declared Jesus to be the eternal Word of God. And he places Jesus within the the divine identity of the one true God. And still in chapter 1, he tells a story of John the Baptist and how John the Baptist also places Jesus within the identity of the one true God. Why is this important to us? It's important because you end up in hell if you don't believe this. That's why it's important. You end up in eternal damnation if you don't believe this. That's why it's important. Jesus said in John 8, I told you you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die also in your sins. What is the He? You can't just believe I'm a good prophet. You can't just believe that I went about doing good works. I was a good teacher. Nicodemus in John 3 believes this. He gives Jesus a behind the scenes look at the conversations that all the Pharisees have been having. We like to damn and condemn the Pharisees for being bad guys, but even the Pharisees got together and said, We know that this Jesus, he's a teacher come from God. Like, we know this. We, we don't think he's the Messiah, but he's from God. That's not enough. You've got to believe. If you believe in Jesus, it's what you believe about Jesus. Do you believe that He is the Son of God, that He is divine, that He is included within the identity of the one true God? The eternal destiny of our souls hinges on whether or not you believe what I'm preaching this morning, according to Scripture. So it's not a light thing to say, I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. You don't confess that casually. Billions of people don't know that. Billions of people have no category for what I'm preaching this morning. If you just understand that basic idea, you are far above all people, not only in the world, but today in our culture, if you can say, I understand that Jesus is the Son of God, divine. He is God. He is Yahweh. Billions of people don't know that. That's not easy Believism. There's nothing easy about that. You don't believe that unless God reveals that to you, unless there is a drawing for you to understand that. Because the implications of believing that idea are massive. They are life-changing. And those implications will radically transform your life and it will call you to perform radical transformation and radical sacrifice in your life if you're to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Several points I want to make here this morning. Number three, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. That's who was born 2,000 years ago. Baby boy wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, makes a great nativity scene. But that was the beginning of a purpose. The purpose was that was the Lamb of God to take away your sin. And you have committed sin, and I have committed sin. And it is because that baby was born that those sins are not held against our charge. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, Jesus is the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, the Word of God came and dwelt among us, was made human flesh, He tabernacled among us. And now John says, in the beginning, it takes us back to Genesis where God made everything good and without sin. And God says the Word went forth and creation happened. But between Genesis 1 and John 1, sin enters into the world. Sin enters in through humanity, through the sin of Adam and Eve. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus reverses the curse that Adam introduced. One of the biggest ideas to understand about Jesus in the New Testament is that Jesus is the second Adam. Paul, That's how Paul frames who Jesus is. By sin, by the first man Adam, death and sin entered into the world. The second man Adam reverses this curse. Jesus takes away sin. Adam introduces sin. Jesus takes away sin. And in John's gospel, that is the opening identity of the Christ. And Whether or not you believe what John says about Jesus has eternal consequences. Because only God can forgive sin. So what does Jesus do? We talk about Jesus. And this is a common argument that Jesus never made claims to be God. And I, I don't know what New Testament they're reading. I mean, when Jesus goes and he, he, he forgives a man's sin. And they said, who but God can forgive sin? And then He proceeds to heal the man. But the first thing He did was He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Only God can forgive sins. John says in 1 John 3, you know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. The reason why the Son of God appeared, the reason why the Word became flesh was to take away sin. That's the reason for the Christmas story. That's the reason for the Incarnation, so He could come and take away your sin. You do not have innocence of your sin unless Jesus comes. Because sin is what separates us from God. I am a sinner. God is not a sinner. So therefore, sin separates me from something that God is not and something that I am. And Christ is that mediator. He steps in between and He takes upon my sin and He reconciles me to God. Sin separates us. Why did John add in 1 John 3, 5, "...and in Him there was no sin?" Because the lambs that were offered in sacrifice in the Old Testament to take away sin had to be spotless lambs without blemish. The blood of animals could not really take away sin. So I know it's always dangerous in a sermon to read something from Leviticus and all of a sudden people's minds are like where you're going to be at, at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. But just hear what the writer... Of Leviticus says. This is about the blood sacrifice. If he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Now Hebrews 10.4 said it's not possible that by the blood of bulls and goats that this could actually happen. It's all a, a foreshadowing of the person of Christ. So what John is saying is that God sent his own spotless lamb into the world to take away sin once and for all. Jesus is not continually sacrificing Himself for our sin. He sacrificed Himself once, and that one sacrifice covers the sin of not only the whole world. I think Hebrews is pretty clear the way that people in the Old Testament are saved is by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what saves people even before Him. There is a place in God where you can live above sin because of the sacrifice. I don't mean to say that you'll live a perfect life. But if there is a sin that is is derailing you, Jesus came to take away that sin. Jesus is baptized by the Holy Spirit and He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He breathed on His followers and says, receive ye the Holy Spirit as He breathes upon them. John the Baptist is a transitional person between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So John the Baptist, and there are a few of these kind of intermediate figures in in Scripture. John the Baptist is one of them. John the Baptist is a transitional person. He is the man that God's redemptive purpose pivots on in Scripture, He's kind of a go-between between between the Old and the New Testament. He introduces the one who ushers in the New Covenant, but John is firmly rooted. John the Baptist is firmly rooted in both the Old and the New Testament. Remember, I think it's so important because I see people make some errors sometimes uh, in their thinking about how all this works because they... They fail to remember, they know this, but they fail to remember that when you read the Gospels, even though we're in the New Testament, you are not yet in the time of the church. You are still very much in an Old Testament setting. The New Covenant has not been instituted yet. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the story of the opening of the first coming of Christ that is to usher in an entire new era. But we're not in the church age yet. The Holy Spirit's not yet been poured out. The church does not yet exist. It's very much a Jewish-only context. And for the most part, we still look and feel like we're in the Old Testament. So it is Christ who comes, and it is Christ who baptizes us with His Holy Spirit. And that makes us active in our lives listen to what peter says in acts chapter two he says brothers so, so Peter is preaching on the day of pentecost they all get together in an upper room they're praying jesus said go and wait in jerusalem till the promise of the father comes to you so they go back to jerusalem after his ascension into heaven they gather in an upstairs room starts out paul tells us later it starts out with five hundred people but." By the day of Pentecost, there's about 120 people that are gathered together. They've been there about a week, seven to ten days. And on this Jewish festival day, uh, on the day of Pentecost, there comes a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and fills all the house where they're seated. And all these people begin to speak in other languages, languages that the people who are gathered around the region, they gather together in Jerusalem for this feast. They said, are these not all Parthians and Medes and Elamites? And yet, these Jews who are from Jerusalem are speaking, praising God in other known languages. These are not, the, this is not the tongue of angels. These are all known languages. When it says they speak in other tongues, people recognize the language. Be like somebody from France showing up and hearing somebody praise God in France and saying, I didn't know you knew French. I'm like, they don't know French. Uh, They only know our language, but they're praising God in French. That's what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. So this starts people to start mocking them. They're drunk uh, and so on. So Peter gives a, we call it a sermon, it's not a sermon like this, but he stands up and he addresses the people. And in verse 29, he says to them, so he's appealing to their Jewishness, like he's really appealing to the fact that you know what's going on if you know your Old Testament. This should be expected. When he says, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel, he's saying that because they know what Joel said. They know something's supposed to be coming, and Peter is saying, this is that. So he's appealing to their Jewish identity, and he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. So he's saying, he's calling David a prophet and saying that God swore to David that he would set one of David's descendants on David's throne. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. And then he says, this Jesus, so this is how he's appealing to them, this Jesus that David spoke of, this Jesus that you all know that was born in the city of David, the carpenter's son, probably worked as a general contractor growing up, Starts to do miracles at age 30, starts to preach the gospel of the kingdom, claim to be the Son of God, and you all killed him. This Jesus is who God raised from the dead. And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured this this is the holy spirit jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing Now, why did i say all that is because you cannot separate the holy spirit from the person of christ inseparable where his spirit is the messiah is Jesus is much bigger than his physical body. We don't know anything about what Jesus looked like. The Bible across the board does not tell us what people looked like. It just was not important. There's an indication that King David may have had reddish hair, or had a kind of a reddish complexion. There's a word there. That we translate it ruddy. That's what ruddy means. We're like, well, maybe that's kind of what David looked like. It was something that would have been remarkable about him that was probably different from the rest of the his brothers and the rest of the people. But for the most part, we don't know how tall they were. But we imagine Jesus to be a very normal-looking Middle Eastern Jewish man of... Uh, People were shorter as a rule back then. People were shorter 60, 70 years ago. Uh, All the hormones and so on that we've decided to pump in has made people uh, grow the last few decades. Uh, But throughout history, people probably weren't as big as they are today. And I say all this because Jesus, if he were to walk into the room... Regardless of what you see on all the TV shows and movies about Jesus, where well, there's always something about him that you go, that guy kind of looks like Jesus. Well, how do you know what Jesus looked like? You know, we don't know what Jesus looked like. The the paintings that we have in our mind, the images that we have from paintings, a lot of those were of they were self-portraits. Of men from the Middle Ages that would actually make self-portraits. They would model it after themselves and paint Christ and to us that's who Jesus looks like. We don't have a clue what Jesus looked like. We do know that from the outside he just appears to be a very ordinary guy. There's, There's nothing extraordinary about him. Like all the TV shows, all the movies about Jesus do this. You line Jesus and his 12 apostles up and I can pick out two people I can pick out Judas because he looks like a shady used car salesman. And I can pick out Jesus because he looks like Jesus. But we really don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is much bigger than his physical body. He is among us in the power of his Holy Spirit. I know what Jesus looks like today inside me. I know what Jesus feels like. I know that, that the work of the Holy Spirit, that I do know, that I do sense and see and feel and touch. John the Baptist bore witness and said, or John. John said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon Him. I myself did not know Him, but He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. He says, I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. Now we know that this happens at Jesus' baptism. That was John the Baptist witnessing that. We know this happened at Jesus' baptism. John, the apostle, actually does not record this, but other Gospels do. But Jesus himself was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he baptizes others with the Holy Spirit. John Piper wrote this. Why a dove? The dove was one of the clean animals that you could sacrifice if you were too poor to afford a lamb, according to Leviticus 5. So it stood for those people, it stood for purity and lowliness and humility so of all the birds that connect heaven and earth by their flying and landing the dove was the one that seemed the most suitable symbol of the holy spirit the holy spirit is holy the holy spirit is pure and the holy spirit was foretold in the old testament Joel 2, it shall come to pass, I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Isaiah 44, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessings upon your descendants. Ezekiel 36, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. We often talk about the Old Testament prophesying about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Joel. But other places, it's prophesied that God will pour out His Holy Spirit. My great-grandfather died in 1981. I've heard my entire life that he was known for three statements. Number one is people do what they want to do. Number two, if things aren't right at home, they'll never be right at church. And number three, the Spirit makes the difference. The Spirit makes the difference. We have the Holy Spirit among us this morning, within us. Because of Luke chapter 2, a baby was born 2,000 years ago, 7,000 miles from us, in a real city, in a real time, in a real place. He starts something that is yet to be finished, and that's what we'll talk about next week, that return of Christ is yet to be finished. The man Christ Jesus is no longer among us. He is ascended. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is figurative language. God is a spirit. This is a position of power. It's it's a metaphor. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this part we better take literally. He makes intercession for us. People want to know, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. It's one. writer of Hebrews said he is making intercession for the saints. If I take that literally, and I do, that that's what Jesus is doing. I hope there are other people that pray for me. I hope there are other people. I, I know there are. I know there's people that say Prayers. Hope there's people that pray for you but if nobody ever says a prayer for you jesus is making intercession for you that's powerful why do i feel secure in my salvation someone said if i wake up tomorrow and i have any inkling or desire toward being saved i'm not going to put that upon myself i'm going to say thank you jesus for waking up another day with a desire to live and walk with you. Why is that possible? Because of what Jesus is doing right now, making intercession for the saints. I don't even know what that looks like. We have images of Jesus praying. I mean, Jesus goes into the desert, he goes into the wilderness and he prays. He says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. Oh, I'd love to hear Jesus say, I pray for you that your faith fail not. That's what he's doing now. He's making intercession for the saints. And then his holy Spirit proceeds from the throne of grace, and it dwells among us. The difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is religions in the world that are not of Christianity, they worship a God that is afar off. They worship a God. Died. They worship an idea that's ancient. Our story may be 2,000 years old, but the Holy Spirit, because it's the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us today, it keeps it alive and new and fresh every single day. Jesus is with us. God is with us. Let's bow our heads. Father, 2,000 years ago you selected only you know why it was your divine providence and sovereign will selected a young Jewish girl named Mary. And out of all the women in history and of all the women in the world you selected that girl that young lady, and you overshadowed her with your Holy Spirit and caused her to be with child. So he could be called the Son of Man and the Son of God. And that once in the history of the universe event that happened on that day, Lord, it propelled a story. It started our story in Christ, that Jesus would be born as any other child, that He would learn to walk, He would learn to talk. According to your word, Father, He was subjected to His parents, and He grew in stature, and He grew in favor in both God and man. At 30 years old, He began working miracles and began preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And just a few short years later, He gave His life willingly. No one took it from Him. He laid down His life willingly so that we could be sons and daughters in the kingdom. That is our faith. That is our security. Something that goes far beyond emotion. Something that prevents us from questioning if we're even saved, depending on how we feel on any particular day. But Lord, You've given us a rock-solid, steady assurance of faith because we are in Christ Christ died was buried rose again and is ascended into the heavens father we don't know when he's coming back but we anticipate we await with eager longing that someday Jesus is going to come back and set this world right he is going to judge sin He is going to call every person into account for their deeds. But for the righteous, for those who are in Christ, that is our hope, it is our salvation, it is nothing to be feared. So Father, I ask You now this week to help us have a mind toward You that would anticipate Your soon return, whether that be next week or next year or 500 years from now. Father, You will, as sure as You came the first time, Christ will come back again. And that is our joy, and that is our hope. I ask this morning, keep us this week. Go with us. Let your Holy Spirit be active in our lives. Let the anointing be present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning.